The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Welcome to today's Deep Dive episode. Today, we're talking all about desert locusts. And I know, what does a grasshopper cousin have to do with water? That seems super strange. Locusts are crazy because they are completely devastating to entire continents of crops, to millions and millions of people. And their life cycle is completely tied to water. So yes, water reaches into every part of everyone's lives. Today, we're learning all about how desert locusts can devastate entire regions of the globe, how they're tied to water exactly, from Dr. Keith Cressman from the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. He is their main locust forecaster, and he knows everything there is to know about locusts, how they react to different situations, and where best to find them, and how we can best fight them. We recorded this interview on December 30th, 2020, so it's been a little while. The locust situation has changed drastically, but that doesn't mean that the locust situation has gone away whatsoever. Locusts are cyclical, and they're tied to water, and when you get a huge plague of locusts, it takes years and years for that plague to be taken out. So they are still there, and uh, this interview is incredible. So sit back relax and get ready to learn a little bit more about desert locusts and how they are tied to water and climate change. Air. Air. Bunny. G. Moana. Umi. Tubi. Agua. Low. Enxio. Nihu. Nui. Nui. Roda. Miri. Echi. Chai. Shui. Maji. Wai. Nero. Aqua. Roda. Water. We doing. And how can we do better? Your one-stop shop for everything water-related. From discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it. For all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, and I just want to ask you something. What are we doing, and how can we do better? Welcome to today's deep dive episode with Dr. Keith Cressman from the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. Keith is on the front lines of protecting the world's crops from locust plagues around the world, and he helps to forecast their movements and help prevent their spread as much as possible. What are locusts? We're going to jump right into that. So Keith, do you mind introducing yourself and giving us a bit of background about yourself? Sure. My name is Keith Cressman. Um, I work for the United Nations Food and Agricultural um, organization. Um, it's called FAO, and it's the largest of the uh, different UN specialized agencies in the world. 
So I'm based at um, FAO headquarters in Rome, Italy, which isn't a bad place to live. I've been here for uh, more than 30 years, in fact. And my job basically in FAO is to is to operate the organization's global um, desert locust um, monitoring and early warning system. So basically, um, that means um, keeping tabs on where the locusts are throughout the world and then forecasting what they're going to do. So, so kind of like a weather forecast, but in this case, it has to do with um, desert locusts. So pretty much a bad weather forecast. Uh, not that you don't do a bad job, but it's you're never announcing. You're not always announcing good news, I guess. Um, well, it depends, I, I suppose. You know, when the situation is calm, then, you know, the, obviously I, I am announcing, you know, good news that the situation will remain calm. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, when, yep. it, when, when it's an emergency situation, yeah, it's usually gloom and doom forecast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess just to get this started, a lot of our listeners may not know what the difference between a locust and a grasshopper is, or if there isn't really that much of a difference at all. So could you just start us off with what are desert locusts and how are they different than grasshoppers? Right. Locusts and grasshoppers, they're, they're basically in the same family. So, so you could think of them as kind of being the same type of insect. But the difference mainly between a locust and a grasshopper is that locusts um, can increase um, very quickly in number, and then they change their behavior. So, so instead of just being kind of solitary as insect, um, they, they change and they kind of do a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and they, they become a, what we call a gregarious um, insect. So mm. uh, in other words, it, it's an insect that's not a loner any longer, but it, it's one who's, who's part of a group, kind of like part of a, a football team or something. And, and then um, because of that, um, they can create these, these great clouds of, of um, locust adults, what we call swarms. And, and you've probably, you know, read about these in the Bible or, in, you know, in, in, in the history. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they date back, you know, tens of thousands of years. Um, we don't have them in America. Um, it's an old world species. So basically that means in, in Africa and Asia. But uh, grasshoppers, mm-hmm. they, they don't um, form swarms. So, so that's really the big difference here. The locusts, they form these crazy huge swarms, whereas grasshoppers are more just individuals just out there on the landscape just doing their own thing. Yeah, you can have a lot of grasshoppers like in your fields or something like that, but they're not mm-hmm. going to create these kind of clouds of, of, of locusts that then, you know, migrate long distances and, you know, really cause kind of um, havoc and destruction. So this havoc and destruction, you kind of alluded to it, and and I've always heard of like plagues of locusts, so that being of biblical proportions, that's always been a, um, a term that I've heard. What makes a plague of locusts a plague, and why should we be concerned about uh, these gregarious locusts? Well, basically, um, a plague occurs only when there's kind of the right weather combinations, kind of optimal conditions for the locusts, and that allows them to reproduce. Um, a locust lives about three months, and it can reproduce in that time um, about 20-fold. So that means at the end of three months, you've got 20 times the number of locusts. Um, but it's exponential, so, so which means it just jumps up in time. So after six months, you've got 400 times the number of locusts. You know, a- after a year, you've got 160,000 times um, the number oh of locusts God. that you started with. So, so, you know, that obviously starts to explain, you know, how, the, how they form swarms. So it's kind of a gradual process. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It it usually takes at least six or nine months, you know, uh, of continuing um, good conditions for that that process to to, um, finish into into forming swarms. Once you have swarms formed, 
Um, and, and this might only be in a country or two. So still, you know, it's kind of, you know, under control, let's say. Um, but the problem is that they migrate and they, they can migrate, you know, more mm-hmm. than 100, kilom- 100 miles in a day. Um, and, and so they, they can cross water bodies, you know, seas and oceans and, and these things. And when that happens, then they get into to more and more countries. So when we have a locust plague, basically that means that we have a lot of swarms around the place. And they, they might be in, you know, up to two dozen or more countries stretching from, say, West Africa to, to India. So that whole kind of desert area. West Africa to India. That's an enormous area. Wow. A hundred miles a day, that uh, that that's unfathomable. How how large that is? They they can just go, keep going and keep going. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the desert locust, which which is the worst, the kind of the most dangerous migratory pest um, in the world. This is kind of like the superhero of all the different kind of locust species. Mm. We ha- we have other locusts around, but you know, they just they just don't reproduce so fast. They don't migrate as far. Um, as a desert locust. And it's this species, the, the desert locust itself, that's the one that um, was in the Bible. That's the one that's, in, you know, in, 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 the, in right. the hieroglyphs in, in Egypt during the, the times of the pharaohs. And so, you know, they've been around a really long time, these guys. Right, right. Just to help us imagine how big this plague is, could you describe what the feeling of being within one of these plagues is? Are they so dense that they almost block out the sun? they would just descend on a crop and you wouldn't be able to see your crop at all? Or can you help just describe what it would be like to be on the ground in, in inside one of these plagues? Yeah, I'll, I'll just when um, during the last plague, um, which was in the late 1980s, um, I, I was really lucky because I, I happened to be living in, in Khartoum in Sudan at that time. And at about a month after I got there, um, swarms of locusts started invading the country from, from the west, from Chad. And, and they moved across the country. And I remember um, one day in, in the Capitol, um, in, in my office there, um, I just kind of mm-hmm. looked to, you know, out, out, out the veranda, you know, to, to, to the skyline. And I could see like half the city was just under a dark cloud. And, and it kind of looked like Whoa. a rain cloud or something. But, but, you know, it was a cloud of locusts, a, a, a single swarm of locusts um, that took about four hours to move across the city, you know, kind of from one side um, to the other. So, you know, it, it, it was huge, of course. And, and it was just one swarm. So, you know, you imagine during a plague, there's hundreds of swarms or, or you know, maybe even Whoa. a thousand swarms. That's, that's terrifying. That's, that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You said the last big locust infestation, that was in the 80s. Currently, there are locust uh, swarms that have that have come back. So, what what's the scale of the problem, and, and where are we finding these problems currently? Right, we're not, you know, um, we're not at a plague yet. Um, currently, uh, we, we okay. had um, yeah. uh, what we we're kind of like one stage below the plague, what we call kind of an upsurge. So, so that basically means that it's not, you know spread out across all of Africa and, and the Middle East. It, it's just kind of in one, one corner of Africa. At the moment, it's in the Horn of Africa, um, which is like Somali, Ethiopia, um, Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's uh, been kind of in the Horn of Africa for about um, all of 2020 uh, of this year. Um, and, and for example, Kenya, 
they got invaded by desert locusts at the end of 2019, and it it was the, the worst invasion that they had seen in 70 years. So you know, oh, for, for that country, it's a really rare event. And then now, just again um, last week, they got reinvaded. You know, so so they have the same scenario kind of setting up again for for the ne- for the next few months. So so plagues are not things that happen regularly. There's kind of, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's every seven years or every 14 years. No, it's not like that at all. It's, it's very sporadic, um, mainly because it has to deal with rainfall in the desert, which is not really um, regular. But, you, you know, before the 1960s, so, so during, during, you know, the, the first 60 years of the 20th century, um, we had plagues um, most of the time. And some of those plagues would last as long as 14 consecutive years nonstop. 14 consecutive years of dealing with these plagues. Wow. So, so I mean, that, that's really horrible, obviously. Now, yeah. <laughs> since the 1960s, we don't see that any longer, um, fortunately. And, and that's due to a number of reasons. First, we have, you know, chemical pesticides that we use, um, which, you know, we didn't have back then. We, you know, we mm-hmm. spray by air. Um, they use land rovers, you know, to look for locusts instead of camels. Um, you know, use satellites to detect the green vegetation and the and the rainfall in the desert. Um, we use you know um, tablets connected to to satellites for for real time data transmission. You know all this kind of high tech stuff, which sounds really right. cool, and it is really cool for sure. <laughs> um, but it's worked. I mean, it, the, you know, the the point is that you know with these new technologies that we harness, you know, it has reduced you know the these. Um, um, plagues that you know obviously hasn't stopped rain from occurring i mean rain still still occurs but the the countries mm-hmm. are able to find the locust early enough you know kind of like a brush fire you know when you find it really small you can put right. it out um, you don't have a problem but if you miss it um, you know you get those horrible kind of giant forest fires or the wildfires that they got in california right. or australia which you know are just horrible um to try to put horrible. out yeah yeah, once it gets to a certain size, there's there's no stopping it. it Mother Nature will take its course. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is what we try to do. We try to, you know, not get the locust to 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 the plague size. You know, we want to try to prevent yeah. that because when we get even to the upsurge like we have now, you know, it, it's just big. The problem is huge and it takes a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy, too much pesticide, you know, to bring it back under control. Yeah. So that's kind of where you come in as a way of predicting and forecasting and and trying to understand where these small swarms are are beginning and and how to how to uh, apply control measures. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. So what I try to do is is I try to forecast the 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 timing and and the scale and the location of breeding and of migration. So so in other words, to give the countries that could be affected as much lead time, advance time. Um, uh, so that they have the necessary time to to be prepared, and then to you know take the the necessary control operations before that problem gets kind of you know out of control. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess what are what are the key things that you're looking for for breeding to occur, or to just even get the start of uh, get the start of a, a surge or a swarm? Because as you were saying, this isn't something that happens every year. This is only something that happens every so so often. So, what makes a perfect scenario for having a swarm that appears? Of course, you love the answer because it fits in with the theme of your program. It's water. <laughs> <laughs> water that's what it is how about that it's rainfall so it, it's rainfall is a trigger 
So it's um, unusually heavy rain. Um, it could be very short in duration, but very heavy. That then allows um, the the sandy um, soil in the desert to be wet for the egg laying, and then allows for for the natural vegetation to to pop out of the ground and and become green to provide the shelter and the food for the locusts. So so that's the mm. driver. So you know normally it doesn't rain much in the desert, so that's why we don't have many problems with desert locusts. But when it does rain, um, it's not a guarantee we're going to have a, a problem with the desert, but it just it increases the, the, the likelihood that we're going to have a problem. So if we look back at the, the current upsurge that we have now, which basically um, uh, started um, two years ago in, in mid-2018 from two cyclones. So here's your water again. Mm-hmm. So cyclones that formed in, in, in the western part of the Indian Ocean, and, and they brought really heavy rains to, to um, a place what we call the empty quarter in Saudi Arabia. Um, and it's exactly what it is. It's one of the most emptiest places on this planet. There's nothing there except for skyscraper wow. sand dunes. There's no towns. There's no villages for like, you know, 500 miles. You know, there's nothing. No Facebook, wow. no internet connectivity, <laughs> yeah. uh, no podcasts, you know. So, yeah, why would, why would we want to go there? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we wouldn't. But obviously, the, the locusts went there because of those cyclones. And it was really weird mm-hmm. because, you know, normally there's like one cyclone a, a year at the most. And, and in 2018, we, we had um, about four cyclones, and two of those cyclones dropped rain in the exact same place, um, one, hmm. in, one in May and then one about six months later. So just when the vegetation would have been drying out in that place in the desert, here comes, you know, cyclone number two. And, of course, right. because it was the empty quarter, you know, nobody could get there to check to see if there's locusts, and if there were, they couldn't do any type of treatments. So it was kind, right. of, like a, kind of like a club med holiday for the locusts um, there. For, for nine full months. So remember my numbers at the beginning of the show here. So nine months, that, that means um, roughly a, about 8,000 times the number of locusts were, wow, were, were, right. were bred in that area. So, so that's what, you know, initiated the, 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 let's say, the first wave of swarms that then, you know, left from those er- uh, areas and migrated into different directions. Yeah, so this large expanse has unseasonable rainfall that just is also very timely in that it just allowed for this uncontrolled breeding episode to to occur to allow for the swarms to become swarms and to reproduce and and then now it's it's really caused this huge issue. Do you see climate change as uh, a driver of potential future episodes of swarms and does that really play into your ability to predict and forecast into the future? Um, For sure. Um, You know, with climate change scenarios, everyone knows the planet's going to get warmer. And and that's fine for desert locusts because they like really hot temperatures, you know, 115, Hmm. 120 degrees Fahrenheit. They're fine. It's, it's, they're quite cool. Those conditions. Um, Oh gosh. (laughs) In addition to, in in addition to the the warming planet, um, you know, uh, some of the climate change scenarios are saying that we're going to have, um, kind of more unusually heavy um, um, uh, rain events. So things like cyclones, just what I've been talking about mm-hmm. as the main driver to initiate plagues. So if that becomes more frequent, um, then I think we will see the desert locusts, you know, being opportunistic and taking advantage of those, those fabulous rains to, you know, increase in numbers and cause swarms to form and that can, you know, develop into a plague. Um, you know, as I mentioned, desert locusts are really, really old. They've been around, you know, they're one of the oldest insects on the, on earth, you know, similar to like cockroaches 
um, nice guy. <laughs> and and um, so desert locusts have already gone through climate change, you know, a number of times, and mm, and, and they've yeah. done absolutely fine. I, I'm not sure if you know we'll be able to do as well as a desert locust, but but these guys yeah. are, these guys are professional survivalists, and and they you know know how to to live in you know the most harshest conditions and areas on this planet. And and I think you know climate change is only likely to to help them probably rather than than hurt them. Um, the other thing with climate change, which we don't know very much about yet, is what's going to happen to the wind patterns on the planet. So mm-hmm. you know locusts um, they migrate with the wind. You know they're not like a bird that can fly in any direction. So it's basically they're victims of the wind. You know they're pushed by the wind. So if those wind patterns happen to change. And imagine, you know, temperatures are warming and we get these kind of, you know, more frequent sudden, uh, sudden right. uh, rainfall events that could open up new habitats for the, for the locusts. And so, you know, it means that they, desert locusts, you know, could be more often seen in southern Europe, for example, or other wow. parts, parts of Asia. Probably not North America because they'd have to cross the Atlantic and that, that's really it tough to be- for them to do. Uh, but you know, at least, <laughs> be a big windfall. Yeah, at least in the old world, you know, th- this could open up new possibilities for them. Wow, I'd never even considered yet how wind would potentially play a, a role in their dispersal. That's a huge issue that that really we'll just have to see, I guess. Yeah, but we'll have to be kind of a little bit maybe prepared in advance too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I I misspoke. We have to we have to be able to to understand these things in advance to be able to prepare to avoid those those things to, from happening. Based on the work that you are you're currently doing, what is the the forecast looking like for uh, this upsurge that's currently in the Horn of Africa? Looking into into your glass ball for 2021, what is uh, kind of the expectation that will happen to this this upsurge? Right. Usually, I, I I usually forecast about six weeks in advance. Um, I can forecast a bit longer than that, but but because much of my forecast depends on the weather, especially rainfall and Rainfall is not horribly predictable in you know in many of these desert areas. So so um, you know a month and a half forecast is, is pretty rock solid. But you know if we go beyond that, then, yeah. you know it becomes a bit less precise. So um, at the moment, of course, uh, much depends on you know what's going to happen um, to to the upcoming rainy season um, in East Africa, which starts around um, March uh, or so, and it mm-hmm. continues to to June. Um, now we're just finishing one of the rainy seasons, and so uh, the locusts have already done very well. They've bred and they've made use of those rains, so so that's not a problem. So it, what what basically it means between now and March is that, that the locusts will will still be in areas, um, and they will be increasing uh, further because uh, we have uh, predicted rains during that period. So mainly like in southern Ethiopia, northern parts of Kenya, northern parts of Somalia, probably all places where you know you don't really go on a holiday, but 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 the locusts <laughs> go there. Uh, yeah, and then then in addition, of course, along both sides of the Red Sea in the winter time is a rainy period. So so this will be a time when the locust numbers are increasing there. So this means on the coasts of of Egypt, of Sudan, of Eritrea, of Yemen, of of Saudi Arabia, um, and then after that they move. So you know this is typical kind of locust. Um, behavior um you know they take advantage of of good conditions during kind of so-called rainy periods um but then when the the vegetation dries out and and the soil becomes too too dry for any further reproduction um they don't get stuck there they just pick up and and they migrate on the winds to the next kind of 
a place where it's going to rain. And and you know the weather is 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 is, is very integrated within when itself, of course. So you know winds they feed into these into these rainy areas, and the locusts themselves mm-hmm. are integrated with the weather. So it, it's kind of a a very you know nice example of, of kind of nature how how nature works. You know how how you know the insects work with, with the weather. It's just that now um, uh, everything is out of balance. Because first, we've had so much unusual rainfall in the past two years. That's, you know, mm. given, given rise to too many locusts. So there's just too many locusts around that, you know, um, it's beyond what nature can manage. Because normally when locusts are in no, low numbers, you know, natural predators and diseases, viruses, funguses, you know, right. kind of the corona of desert locusts kind of manages that. <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, 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 they're beyond that at the moment. So. So we have to, you know, try to get back down to to a situation where, you know, there's fewer numbers of locusts, so it's more kind of in balance with with the nature around it. Yeah, it's just it's just at a, a level now that Mother Nature just can't can't compete. What are what are the best methods for control? So you were saying get in early when they're in low numbers. But is there anything that can be done once they get to upsurge levels, or even when they're at low levels? How how do we control them? I'm assuming pesticides are employed, and that's probably the best way once they get to such large numbers. But it must be difficult with with a lot of these really impassable areas, or or difficult to access locations where these locusts like to congregate. What's the current technology at in in our ability to fight back against against uh, these upsurges right i mean obviously there there's two factors here one is first you got to find the locusts and then and then second you, you you know you should be able to to treat them so as you rightly mentioned you know um uh, in the desert areas of of northern africa ma- many of these places are becoming unsafe even even to 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 get into um you know mm-hmm. by by the national teams in the country so it's the countries themselves who are responsible for for monitoring their own locusts and for we're doing the control operations. So it's not that we have some UN, you know, glorified kind of, you know, rescue <laughs> team that's going to come in there, parachute in there, yeah. and do that for them. So the countries do that. But, you know, even in, in, in their own countries, that they can't reach all of the areas because of an increasing amount of insecurity. And, and you can think of northern Mali, you can think of Libya, you can think of mm-hmm. Darfur, you can think of Tigray now in, in Ethiopia, um, Yemen, um, you know, Iran, Iraq, you know, places that you've kind of heard about in the news that aren't very safe. Yeah, yeah. And, and many of these are, 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 are locust habitats. So, so that's already kind of an increasing challenge. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're using, we're harnessing satellite technology to know where it's rain, to know where there's green vegetation. So at least we, we, we can prioritize those huge areas in the mm-hmm. desert and just check those for, for locusts. Um, once teams um, on the ground, and the best way, of course, is in a Land Rover. Um, you just go out driving in the desert looking for green areas and seeing if there's any That sounds pretty fun. Which is really fun, yeah. <laughs> I've done a lot <laughs> of that. Um, but w- once you see them kind of concentrating in groups, then that's the time, obviously, to, do, um, to spray them. Um, we have yeah. chemical pesticides that are used. Um, but, you know, under desert conditions, they break down after about 24 hours. So it's not, you know, things that you can just kind of spray anywhere and, you know, three months later, the locust is going to come across right. and die. Work <laughs> anymore. Um, and we have biological pesticides that are very cool. It's a fungus that only attacks locusts and grasshoppers. So, so, mm. so that one works is really safe. That one works. 
So you know when the when when you know the teams find these locust concentrations in the desert that are usually pretty small, they can treat it just with a backpack sprayer, or maybe if it's a little bit bigger with a sprayer, you know, on the back of their pickup truck, um, and, and that's you know that works really well. Um, but if they miss that, or you know if the areas are just like too big and they don't have enough teams, um, and you get these big swarms that form, um, then you have to go to something bigger, and that means aircraft. So, so that means aerial spraying. I'm always using the same stuff. So, use chemical pesticides or biopesticides. But, but you're just, you know, aircraft can treat, you know, much, much um, larger area. I mean, you know, these swarms, um, they can get really crazy big. For instance, about a year ago in northern Kenya, um, there was a swarm um, that was about 35 miles um, long uh, by about um, 15 miles um, wide. 35 miles long, long by 15, by 15 miles. miles wide. So, so, I mean, that's the size of the country of Luxembourg, which is a really small country in, in Europe. But that still. is crazy. And that was one single swarm. So that was like covered. The whole area was like covered with, with locusts. And, and so... Oh my gosh. And, and you know, the, okay, apart from, you know, you know uh, how big they can get and how, f- how much they can quickly they can mm. multiply or how far they can migrate, you know, the big problem is how much they can eat. And, right. And this this right. is the thing, because locusts eat everything. You know, they don't prefer certain crops. They will just eat anything that's around. And of course, they like the natural vegetation in the desert. But when they finish that, then they get into the farms, you know, into the uh, farmers that are growing cereal mm-hmm. crops and their fruits and vegetables and, you know, even coffee plantations, st- stuff like that. Um, if Not you, our coffee, no. No. <laughs> if, if, if you just imagine um, a swarm the size of Manhattan, right, New York City, okay? Yeah. And, and that's not a big swarm for locusts. Okay, Manhattan's not so big, but still, okay. Um, <laughs> still. A, a swarm the size of Manhattan in one day that swarm will eat the same amount of food as everybody in California and New York. Everyone in California and New York. New York. And one day we'll eat the same amount of food that that swarm would consume. Oh my goodness. That's, that's crazy. So the, the swarm the size of Luxembourg. Yeah. It would eat, eat the same amount of food as everybody in Kenya. Oh my goodness. In one day. Yeah. In one day. Well, that is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so so this is why, you know, this comes back to the importance of of, of good monitoring, of early warning, of decent forecasts, mm-hmm. and try to, you know, not let get these things out of control. Yeah, exactly. That that just to be able to provide food because that would lead to more food insecurity and then it, it's just a vicious cycle whereas you can't get into these areas because it 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 unstabilizes regions they don't have the food and and that causes other issues so that the governments aren't able to actually get in there to be able to monitor you're right i mean and unfortunately you know where these things are happening they're happening in parts of africa that you know already extremely kind of vulnerable and fragile i mean the horn of africa mm-hmm. um prior to last year they had three years of drought so they were already like in a bad mm-hmm. situation, right? Then on top of that, uh, last year they had um, a, a cyclone that brought them floods. So they had floods. And then on top of that came the locusts. So it's just kind of, you know, another um, shock, you know, that's being added to the pile there. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, this really hurts um, people's livelihoods. 
because people in, in those countries, you know, the 80% of the populations rely on agriculture or, or pastures. You know, these are not industrious nations. So, you know, when you have no. a locust swarms come into those areas that start, you know, eating the, their pastures, you know, that they, that they need for, to sustain their, their cattle or their, their farms um, for, for the food production, it really hits them hard. I mean, if you think about and pastures, you know, we don't think about the importance of pastures, you know, these wild grasses. But, you know, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that their livelihoods depends on camel grazing or goats or sheep or, or small cows. Right. And, and when the pasture, when there's less food, what happens to the animals? Of course, you know, they get skinny, right? And so you can't sell them for very much in the market. There's not much meat on them. But the other thing is that, mm-hmm. you know, the milk that they produce is used for children, new, child nutrition. So you start to have an impact on children. And, you know, when you have an impact on children, that can be very long lasting. You know, it's not just this year. That could affect them for for decades. And and this becomes, you know, extremely, um, you know, kind of sad Um, in terms of, you know, um, farmers. And imagine you're a farmer, right? And and you grow rain-fed crops. So you do, you you rely on the rain to irrigate your crops. You don't have any wells or or drip irrigation or anything. Mm-hmm. And and you're growing whatever, some type of corn or cereal or something. And and so you look towards the horizon, right? And and you see kind of you know the, your the rain cloud coming, and you're you're really happy because that's exactly what you need, you know, for, for your <laughs> crop, right? And if it's a good year. Yeah. Mind you, you know, you, you're probably growing food not only for this year, but, you know, for the few coming years, you know, the kind of stockpile food, you know, in case there's, you know, shortages, yeah. right? So you see this rain cloud on the horizon, and you're like happy. And then you notice that the cloud is moving towards your field. And when you look up, you see it's not a rain cloud, but it's a swarm of birds. Oh. And, you, and you've never seen this before in your life, for example, if you're in Kenya, but you've heard about it from your grandparents, Right. And so then you kind of, oh, right. my God, the horror tales are like coming true. And then, you know, in by by midday, there's nothing left in your field. That's it. Wow. And you've lost everything for this year, probably next year for your family, maybe in for, for your extended family or your community. All gone in, in half a day. I can't even imagine that 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 kind of horror of realization of there's nothing you can do and completely out of the blue yeah no it's it's you know and and you know we we in in the states you know we don't have desert locusts we don't have swarms and we don't have any of these problems really so so yeah it's kind of when you hear about them it's kind of stuns you in fact of what what can happen in other parts of the world Wow, that is it's just, that's just shocking. It's just shocking to to have that, and it just kind of reinforces the importance of the work that you're doing to help to kind of understand and be able to to be a, a frontline responder or frontline predictor of of where the these issues can pop up and how they can affect, I mean, millions of people around the world. Yeah. Is there anything that they won't eat at all, or is it just basically there's there's nothing that that you could plant that they would not touch? There's nothing you can plant that they wouldn't touch. I mean, you know, if they're in an area where you know where there's nothing to eat, but whatever crop you have, um, they will eat your crop. Yeah. Do they bring diseases as well with them, or is they the main effect is just 
just that they're completely consuming crops. I hope I hope that there's no disease. <laughs> there's not another no, double whammy no, to no, this. Unfortunately, not. There's enough whammies already. No, they they only eat, so they they don't. They're not uh, vectors of any diseases or anything. What What would you hope that anyone who listens to this episode would take away from this as like as someone who's never experienced a plague of locusts or an upsurge of locusts in real life what what should i take away from this how would i be able to support work like the work that you're doing or the work of of these governments to be able to actually go in and and protect their citizens and be able to monitor and put out the smaller fires of of uh, local swarms of locusts before they they uh, they get out of control. Well, I think um, probably the the take home message here is that you know um, locust plagues are still very real thing. You know, you, you, as you mentioned at the beginning, you've heard about plagues kind of and and mentioned in the Bibles as one of the seven plagues or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know, many people because you know they, it doesn't uh, come to the states. Um, they think, oh well, it, it's an old thing that happened in the past doesn't happen anymore but that's not true it still happens um and and not all the time but when it does happen it, it it's very very hard hitting and and there's a, an awful lot of people that that suffer um and sometimes you hear about it in the news and and, and sometimes you don't it just depends you know what you're competing with now we're competing with covid and trump and and the real and then the election and all of these and so you right. probably don't hear much about about, about swarms at at, yeah. at the moment, um, but yes, it's a very very real problem. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, the key is to 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 get at it early. A prevention um, and early warning are absolutely essential. Um, but this means that that governments have to have the the capacities to do that. And and we at FAO we we develop those capacities. We work with them to strengthen their capacities. But this does require funding, of course. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we get funds um, mainly from other governments, from, from governments in the West, including the U.S. Um, so, you know, obviously, what, you know, what, what a, a concerned citizen could do in the states is, is lobby for this funding uh, with, with your senator, with your, your, your state congressman huh? to, to, you know, um, get the, you know, have the, the funding continue from, from USDA, from USAID um, to, to, um, to Africa and to, to Asia where, you know, they... Um, have to manage um, desert locusts. So I think that's a very, very important thing. There's also um, NGOs, non-governmental organizations that are, are working in the communities, kind of at the community level, um, you know, to, to help mm-hmm. with the, some of the farmers like I described. Um, and they too, the, these NGOs, these international NGOs, they, they obviously, they rely on contributions from, from um, uh, concerned citizens and, and, and uh, generous um, people. So I, w- I would say if there's an interest um, there, um, obviously that's a, v- a very um, uh, um, useful route to go. Um, and in both mm-hmm. directions, I, I would say, you know, it's always kind of a, 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 a parallel direction. So one is always um, improving, um, you know, the, the, the future. So, you know, strengthening the national capacities of the countries to, to manage locusts um, in, in the future when they have a problem. But also then now when there are emergencies, obviously. You know, there are farmers that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, they lost on their crop. They don't have enough money to, to replant. Uh, they can't buy seeds. You know, so, so, you know, it's that type of assistance that's needed and can be channeled as well through NGOs, through, through um, religious um, um, organizations and agencies that might be working in, in, in those countries that are affected by desert locusts. 
Well, thank you so much, Keith. This has been I I, I I've learned so much and I, I feel that I've been rather ignorant that I didn't know about the scale of this issue. And I just thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and to be able to pick your brain on, on this, this really important issue that uh, doesn't get the press or, or the information passage that it that it deserves. Uh, I'm just I'm just wondering, is there anywhere that listeners could go to learn more about the work that you do specifically or to be able to follow uh, the the predicting of, of locusts and, and, and uh, things like that? Yes, we have a I have a website um, uh, that's uh, I manage it at FAO. It's called Locust Watch. Um, so you, you could just Locust Watch. Google that. It's two words, Locust Watch. The, the address is, is not very difficult. It's um, www.fao.org um, slash ag, like ag, and then slash locus, plural, L-O-C-U-S-T-S. And uh, there you'll find all the information. You'll see the latest situation, if, and you'll find uh, also our contact information in case you'd like to learn more about Locus or have questions, or even if you want to contribute, we can help you out there too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation, and I, uh, I'm, I encourage everyone to go check out Locust Watch and to be, to be generous and to think about how, how you can help in this situation and in this fight for all of these other people in the world who are dealing with this, who maybe no one listening on this will actually be dealing with this, but it's something to, to keep in mind. Thank you again, Keith, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much, David, for, for having me on, on your program. I, I really enjoyed it, and I wish everyone... Uh, A very happy and healthy uh, 2021. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our future episodes coming out sometime soon. I would just like to thank Dr. Keith Cressman for taking the time to speak with me about this really complex issue and making it really palatable and understandable. If you want to learn more about desert locusts and what's actually happening in real time and what Dr. Keith Cressman's predictions are going to be, then you need to check out his website, fao.org slash ag slash locust. It's called Locust Watch, and he publishes his predictions. There's interactive maps that actually show where the swarms are in real time, how big they are, and where they're going. It's super cool and fascinating. I highly recommend it. Very, very cool, but also just a little bit terrifying. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I'd just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Pullman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them email us at conservation at aquariumsocietyofalberta.ca. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with us. In two weeks will be our final episode of season one. Our final episode is going to focus on fish fraud, how 10% of the seafood that we buy or we get served in restaurants isn't even the fish it's supposed to be. We're getting taken for a ride a lot of the time when we go and buy our food. And it's not necessarily the grocery store's fault or the restaurant's fault. 
they're also being taken for a ride. The seafood supply chain is extremely complex. It's not as simple as going to a field, seeing cows, and then eating that cow later. There's so many different steps in catching, producing, and packaging fish before it gets to your plate. A lot of things can go wrong along that chain. So if you love seafood and you want to make sure that you're eating a sustainable product, not only from an environmental point of view, but also from a human point of view, so you don't have slave labor or anything involved with the production of that fish getting to your plate, you're going to want to listen to this episode. We go to the experts to get all of the insight on how to find sustainable options in seafood. Tune in, you won't want to miss it. Thanks and it's been a splash.